Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Magic, demonic magic. And they had categories, you know, specialty, you know, like a doctor, you could go specialize in this magic or that magic, you know. So they had different fields of magic. And you might be a magician who specialized in defensive magic, you know, to be used in protection from your enemies. Or you might be a magician who specialized in black magic or voodoo magic to, to be used in offensive against your enemies. Or you might be a magician who specialized in fortune-telling or soothsaying, in other words, to tell the future. Or you just may be a magician that specialized in wonder-working magic to impress. You know, you'll probably be the ones who'd be called to throw the broads down. Okay, this was Egypt. Egypt is a center for magic. And these magicians aligned themselves with demonic forces. They refined this, this method of aligning themselves with demonic forces, with powers of darkness to accomplish what was otherwise not possible to do and which could not be explained. Okay, you couldn't stand from a certain angle and say, oh, I see how he did that. No, this was Egypt. Egypt was the center of this superstition, of this mysticism, of this magic, of this alignment with demonic forces. This is why Jewish mysticism, which is known as Kabbalah or Kabbalah, came out of Egypt. It came out of Egypt. See, Kabbalah teaches that there are hidden messages in the Bible through numbers, through numbers. It's called numerology. That letter represents, this letter represents, you added, oh, what do you know? See, that's numerology. And this all came from Egypt. It all came from the land of mysticism and magic. So Pharaoh has called for all of them here and they all come in. And if you can picture this, they have their bright clothing and they're wearing all sorts of symbols and they've got herbs and some of these, they, they like to cut herbs during their magical enchantments cut, to bring an odor into the room. This helped them to get the demonic spirits to work with them. And then they have the magic dust, and they have the charms, and they have the rods, all this magic. And they got music, and they got fire. And each magician now, he's going through his specific method to call the demons to help him or help them interpret Pharaoh's dreams. Now, Let's remember here that these magicians were successful in working with the demons. And in Exodus, it's, I told you, they, they not only turned the rods, their rods, into snakes, but they also, they, they copied several of the plagues. For example, the plague of turning the water into blood. It says in Exodus 7.21, Exodus 7.21, the fish that was in the river died, the river stank. The Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. 
So they turned water into blood too. And then they also, they also copied the plague of frogs, the frogs. It says in Exodus 8, 7, Exodus 8, 7, and the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs upon the land of Egypt. They did the frog plague. They also, they copied lice. In Exodus 8, 18, Exodus 8, 18, the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice. All right, they may have had trouble with that one, by the way, because then it says, but they could not. But okay. <laughs> so, but nevertheless, the magicians were this group that had power, they had demonstrated power, and they were all brought in by Pharaoh. Now there's a second group that assembles with Pharaoh, and they're called all the wise men, all the wise men. So these wise men are the philosophers. You know, they're the learned ones. These are the men who know all kinds of, they possess knowledge of all things that are unknown and that are secrets. They specialize in knowing secrets, you know. So this is quite an interesting group that we got here. So they assembled in front of Pharaoh here. We've got these magicians with all their specialties, and we have these wise men of Egypt. So now, they're all gathered together there, and everyone listens carefully to Pharaoh's dream. And so he tells them about his dreams, and then they all swing into action. You know, it kind of reminds you a little bit about the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel when Elijah challenged them to have Baal send down fire and consume a sacrifice on the altar. And what it says there in 1 Kings 18, 26, it says they took the bullock which was given them and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning uh, even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar, which was made. And then it says a couple of verses lower, in 1 Kings 18, 28, 1 Kings 18, 28, and they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner, this is what they did, with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. So that was something. So you think of that scene, and now you go back into Pharaoh, and you think of a similar scene. Here's all these magicians, all these wise men, and they're listening to Pharaoh tell his dreams, and then they all swing into action. And you could just imagine what must have been going on there. I mean, the magicians were having, the fires were blazing, the smoke is rising, the dust is flying all over, the magic dust is flying all over the place. The charms are, are going into use. The music is playing, they're dancing their dances, they're cutting their herbs, and they're bringing out all their magic potions. And then, you know, so you have this group that's doing that. And then over in the corner, you have the wise men, and they're just sitting there thinking like this, you know. <laughs> and so, and there's Pharaoh, and he's watching all this, and he's in this state of extreme frustration and a troubled spirit. And he's saying, well, 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 when are you going to tell me? When are you going to tell me? And finally comes the result in verse 8. There was none that could interpret unto Pharaoh. So they all come up empty. They all come up empty. And we can imagine, one by one, they make their apology to Pharaoh. And not one of them is able to get any assistance from the familiar demons, the familiar spirits, to help them interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And so what's going on here? Well, in the unseen world, we can imagine that every one of those demons in Egypt had an angel standing next to him saying, don't you open your mouth. <laughs> all right. <laughs> But in the seen world, all these magicians and wise men had to admit, couldn't do it. You know, like Elijah challenged the, the prophets of Baal. He says, well, maybe he's taking lunch or he's taking a nap or he's got some other things to do. So, you know, just call it a lot, you know. 
So the scene here is so instructive for us because there were all those magicians who had these demon-given powers and they had experience with these demon powers. But when it came down to really helping Pharaoh, when it really counted, when he really needed it, they came up short. They didn't help him at all. You know, some people today, they're really taken in by the occult, by Ouija boards, by psychics, by fortune tellers, by astrology, by Kabbalah. And they're really impressed with what the Bible describes when it describes all this in 2 Thessalonians 2.9. 2 Thessalonians 2.9 says, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. So the, so the working of Satan is described as all power and signs. Satan has power. He's got power. He has an ability to deceive. Deceivableness. And they're called lying wonders. And there's something that is characteristic about the people who get caught up in this about the people who are taken by this, about the people who get this extreme interest and follow these signs and wonders as if they're real and by God. And the characteristic is given to us in 2 Thessalonians 2.10, where we're reading, they are called in them that perish, or as the Greek has it, in them that are perishing, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. So the ones who are taken in by all of this, the satanic deceptions, they've made a decision. They've made a decision. They are not gonna receive the love of the truth and be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's their decision. So they're open now to the demon deception. I remember some Jewish friends of mine who I spent a couple days with and I was presenting the gospel to them. They were secular Jews. They didn't have any kind of religion. But the next time I met them, oh, they had gone head over heels with Kabbalah. And now they're preaching to me about all the miracles that happen and so forth. And I, I thought, why? Why? I spent so much time with them giving them the gospel and they didn't have anything. And now all of a sudden they flipped this way. Why? Because of 2 Thessalonians 2.10. With all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. All right, now, when we read in Genesis 41.8, when we read in verse eight that there was none that could interpret them to Pharaoh, it's a picture for us of how unreliable and how undependable the world's wisdom and philosophy is for man. I mean, the, it, the world's wisdom and philosophy, it can tantalize, it can impress, but it will never be able to help a man where he really needs the help the most. It'll never bring deliverance from this burden of sin that the Lord Jesus talked about, come unto me all you that labor heavy laden. It'll never give the peace in the heart. Okay, now, there's the scene that's happened there. So there's Pharaoh. He's extremely frustrated. There's probably still smoke in the air, and everybody is like in shock, like, you can't help me? And so a lot of things are going on in Pharaoh's mind right now. But something remarkable happens at this point. I mean, just, you got to picture again, picture the scene. Hundreds, probably, of magicians, philosophers, and all their incantations and their enchantments and their smoke and the, and the odors and everything. And they're standing there, ashamed, with their heads hanging down. 
And there's Pharaoh in pain, in a painful frustration, realizing I've been really wrong. This religion that I have, this Egyptian religion, is unsuccessful. The philosophy is not working. And so all this is going on in here. It's a shock, it's a shame, it's, it, it, everything is happening in this room. There's a lot of dynamics going on in the room right now, a lot of electricity in the air. When all of a sudden, in the corner, stands the chief butler, who's supposed to have nothing to do with the mystical. You know, he just brings wine, that's all. And the chief butler now, all of a sudden, in this corner, he falls under this tremendous, deep conviction of sin, of his sin. And the chief butler is under this burden. He can't sustain it. It's this burden of shame and guilt as he thinks, to him, he thinks of his sin and he thinks of not keeping his promise to Joseph. He promised Joseph you would tell Pharaoh about him. And the butler's looking at all these failed magicians and all these failed wise men and Pharaoh's sitting there with his troubled spirit and the butler is thinking to himself, how much grief and trouble I would have saved if I hadn't forgotten to tell Pharaoh about Joseph. That's what's going through his mind now. So the butler decides, I can't stand it any longer. I gotta make it right. I gotta confess now my sin to Pharaoh. So the butler steps out and he announces to Pharaoh in verse nine, which must have been a shock for everybody. He says, then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh saying, I do remember my faults, not faults, sins, sins, it's chet. I do remember my sins this day. Now the butler now, he now recounts again in verses 10 and 11, the dreams that he and the baker had when they were in prison and the same dilemma that he was in as the Pharaoh found himself and there was no one to interpret the dreams. And then he says, you know, there's a person. There's a person who successfully interpreted our dreams. And what's so interesting in the next part is how he describes Joseph to Pharaoh. It's so interesting in verse 12 because he says, there was there and there was there with us a young man a Hebrew, servant to the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted to us our dreams, to each man according to his dream he did interpret. Now, just think of Pharaoh. I mean, just think of Pharaoh right now. With all the most prestigious magicians and philosophers in Egypt standing before him. And now this description comes of the wonder, the wonderful dream interpreter. How does this sound to him? How does this sound to Pharaoh? I mean, Pharaoh looks at all these magicians and the wise men, and in essence, he hears the butler say, Pharaoh, instead of these aged wise men uh, in all of Egypt before you now, may I present to you a young man? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Pharaoh, instead of all these pure-blooded Egyptians from the finest families in Egypt, may I present to you a Hebrew, you know, one of the people from the abominable races of man. Pharaoh, instead of all these, these men of distinction and honor and power in Egypt, may I present to you a prisoner in the worst prison in Egypt. <laughs> Pharaoh, instead of all these free men here before you, may I present to you a prisoner who is held in fetters and is a servant. <laughs> Pharaoh, instead of all these men before you who are not successful in interpreting dreams, may I present to you, and this is what verses 12 and 13 says, a young man, a Hebrew, a servant to the captain of the guard, 
And we told him, and he interpreted us our dreams. To each man according to his dream, he did interpret. And it came to pass as he interpreted to us, so it was. Me, he restored to my office. Him, he hanged. Now, at this point, we can imagine, this is tough for Pharaoh. This is not an easy pill to swallow. Because he's got to swallow a lot of pride in front of all these men if he's to call up Joseph from prison. But that's how God operates. That's how God does it. Why? Because in 1 Peter 5.5, Peter 5.5, we read about how God operates when he said, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God is in the business of humbling the proud. God's best gifts are on the lowest shelves, so you gotta, you gotta stoop down to get them. Just like Naaman, the leper, the great Syrian general who was a leper. And it says in 1 Kings 5, 9, 1 Kings 5, 9, so Naaman came, he came to Elisha. And he came to get healed of his leprosy. So Naaman came with his horses, his chariot, and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, go wash in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. And I'm sure that the messenger probably said it in that monotone as well. And so Naaman was wroth and went away and said, behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leopard. Are not Arbana and Farpa, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst not thou have done it? How much rather than when he saith to thee, go wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Now, why did he storm away in a rage and, re- and refuse to dip himself in the muddy Jordan River? Because of pride, because of his pride. Why did Naaman repent and return and dip himself seven times in the muddy Jordan River? Because he still was a leper. (laughs) And he couldn't find a cure for his leprosy. His leprosy drove him to obey Elisha. Why did Pharaoh listen to this butler tell him about a young man, a Hebrew, a prisoner, a servant? Because Pharaoh had this, he had his, his uninterpreted dreams and his spirit was troubled and so that, that, that troubled spirit drove him to accept Joseph. Pharaoh had to overcome his pride in order to get help from Joseph. And the same is true about the Lord Jesus Christ. The same is true about him. You know, sadly, there were those who did what it says in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, 2. Isaiah 53, 2 says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form, nor comeliness, and we shall see him no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised. He's rejected of men. Man of sorrow is acquainted with grief. Hid as it were our faces from him. He's despised. We esteemed him not. We gave him no rating. Okay. But there were those who were described also in the Lord's day in John 6.42. John 6.42. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he said, I came down from heaven? And Mark 6.3, Mark 6.3, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon, are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. They were offended at him. They were offended at him because he made himself of no reputation. 
It says in Philippians 2.7, Philippians 2.7, he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So they look at the Lord Jesus and they said, a poor Jewish servant? Oh no, we're not gonna have this man reign over us. And that's the reason why the majority of the response among the Jewish people is John 1.11, John 1.11. He came unto his own, his own received him not. But like Pharaoh, like Naaman, there was a minority that's described in the next verse, which is John 1.12, John 1.12. Still talking about the Jewish people. But as many as did receive him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So just like Pharaoh, just like Naaman, they also had to get over this hurdle of the description. There's with us a young man, a Hebrew, a servant to the captain of the guard. And that was the case with Nathaniel. Nathaniel, when Nathaniel, when Philip found Nathaniel in John 145, John 145, it says, Philip findeth Nathaniel, saith unto him, we found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph. Nathanael said unto him, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? That slump town? You gotta be kidding me, you know. The worst part of Tijuana you're talking about? Philip saith unto him, come and see. Just come and see for yourself, come and see. So Jesus saw Nathanael coming unto him and said, behold, an Israelite indeed, and who was no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, before that Philip called thee when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the son of God. Thou art the king of Israel. He ends up worshiping the Lord Jesus as God and king. But that's not how it started out. It started out with, the, you're talking about the slum town of Nathanael. And the only reason that Nathanael came and for the Lord Jesus, because Nathanael was looking for the Messiah that Moses and the law and the prophets did write about. And he couldn't find him and that troubled him. And that's why he accepted Philip's challenge to come and see. It's pretty difficult for a person to come to the Lord Jesus Christ when they realize, you're talking about a person who was born in a barn. You're talking about a person who lived as such a poor man that he didn't have a home on earth and he didn't have a place to lay his head. You're talking about a person who died as a criminal in a shameful death. But the only reason that a person will come to the Lord Jesus Christ is because he's like Pharaoh. His spirit is troubled. His spirit is troubled. He's afraid of the judgment that his sins deserve. He feels guilty from his heart that's been made dirty by sins. He needs relief. He's got turmoil. He's got no peace. He's got turmoil and distress inside that his sins have caused. And so just like with Pharaoh, that will drive that person to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that will make that person to swallow his pride and to come, and that's what we're seeing here happen with regard to really the most powerful man on earth, Pharaoh, as he swallows his pride now, and he's about to call up the young man, the Hebrew, the servant, the prisoner. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, Lord, working in this whole situation here, and thank you also for Pharaoh's willingness, Lord, to cast off his pride, to have his eyes opened, Lord, and to, to call your man. And we pray, Lord, that we would Lord, follow and, and also be humble and be willing to swallow our pride in life. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.com. 
friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live, located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.